I'd like to invite you to page 965 of the Sanctuary Bible in front of you. We're looking at Matthew 11, 2 through 15 this morning. Matthew 11, 2 through 15, page 965 in your Sanctuary Bible. And uh, don't have a heart attack, but I'm going to break with tradition, and I'm not going to give an introduction this morning. I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. So let's look at it starting with verse 2. Matthew 11. When John, and this is John the Baptist, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see, or what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out into the desert to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So John was in prison. John was in prison, and the question is why? He was in prison because he objected to the king's marriage. And he spoke publicly about how perverse the king's marriage was. And as we saw last week, uh, Pastor Victoria was preaching about how he called the religious leaders a brood of vipers. John, uh, John kind of, I guess he talked first and maybe thought second. I'm not sure. He just kind of had a sharp tongue. He sort of said what he was thinking right in the moment. And so uh, last week he called some important people a brood of vipers, the children of vipers. Uh, and then after a while he, um, he, he publicly denounced the marriage arrangements of the king, and um, that landed him in hot water. He said the wrong thing about some powerful people, and so he was thrown in prison. And as we know, reading further in the Gospels, ultimately this, this leads even to his death. Um, so what was important for John was that people repent. We saw that last week. Come and repent. Come down to the Jordan and repent. There's a baptism, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. And so for him it was important that there was 
people would turn toward God. He cared about God. He cared about people's relationship with God. But it seems that he also cared that the Messiah would come and finally deal with unrepentant people by judging them. That was the hope. That was the messianic hope that John lived in and that God would come and also punish the wicked and clean up the whole place. Sort of like, uh, you know, we kind of think of King Arthur maybe would kind of come back riding on a white horse and kind of clean up the whole realm. And so there's this sort of messianic hope. And, and there were a lot of different kinds of hopes for different messiahs in that time, but almost all of them had this part in the central theme was that someone's going to come and clean up this town. Someone's going to come and set some people straight who need straightening out. And that's what they hoped uh, would happen with, with Jesus. That's what John hoped with, what would happen with Jesus. So one, maybe one example of this is, um, and, and I'm the youngest, so that if you, you may be the oldest in your family, so you're on the other end of this idea but when I was little, and I was in school, and there was only a few years where my brother and I were in the same school. He was four grades ahead of me, basically, or three grades ahead of me. And so we were only in elementary school together for three or four, three years or so. But there was a time when, when I was like a second grader, and he was like a fifth grader, and some fourth graders were picking on me. Why would they do that? I mean, probably something I said. You know, it's like John the Baptist. Just be careful what you say. Um, and so they were kind of coming around me, pushing on me, and there out of the corner of my eye was Carl Martin. He has a double name, just like me, my, bro- my big brother, whom I love. Carl Martin came, and he kind of surveyed the situation. Hey, somebody's picking on my little brother. So he started pushing back a little bit, and those kids kind of dispersed, and that was the end of that. And that was a great feeling. Can anyone relate to that feeling? Like, the, the night comes sh- riding in. The big brother comes. Now, hopefully, if you were the big brother or the big sister, you kind of stood up for your little brother or little sister, whether they were right or wrong, right? You know, you just you stick together, your family. And um, all he had to do was sort of push one of them, and the, sort of the rest sort of folded and ran away. And it's such a, it was in a weird way, okay, it was such a great feeling that uh, somebody came in my hour of need and, and put my enemies to flight. And that's, I think, a little bit what John was hoping for. When's the big brother going to come and push back at all these people who have been pushing us for all these years? Um, And so imagine even then that John's desire for the big brother to come, for the Messiah to come, is even more intensified because he's in prison. He's been languishing in a dark prison. He doesn't feel great about where he is. Um, he, he's like, if only this day could come sooner, I could get out of prison sooner. Prison was a horrible, prison's horrible now. Prison was even more horrible back then. It was a real deprivation. It was inhumane uh, circumstances at all times. We could go on a little bit about that, but at a different time. And so John is beginning to have a moment of doubt. Here's, here's John, Jesus' cousin. Here's John, the one who, you know, Jesus came to him to be baptized. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, there was this real recognition on John's part that Jesus, this was really the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. 
But then in prison, and Jesus isn't really doing what John has been hoping for. He hasn't been that big brother to ride in on a white horse. Sends some of his followers to Jesus to say, did we make a mistake here somewhere? Did I, did I pick the wrong guy? Are you, are you the one? That's what it says, right? Are you the one who was to come? Or, or we'll give you an out here. Maybe, we were, maybe this was just a misunderstanding. Or should we expect someone else? And I, I, you want to give this the best possible interpretation. I think he, was, he, he wasn't trying to throw some shade on Jesus here. It wasn't kind of like a, you know, you're not really delivering. He, he just really wants to know. Maybe we crossed our wires somewhere and you're not really the guy I thought you were. Should we wait for somebody else to come and do what we thought? And really what it is is I backed you early on. I, I decided I was going to diminish so that you could grow in importance in this area. Are you still going to deliver? Are you going to bring justice to the unrepentant and the wicked? Are you going to do that? This is a human desire. And we have this desire. God, are you going to come and, and judge the wicked? Are you going to do that? Are you going to let these people get away with this? And you add to that desire uh, a little bit of theology, a little bit of religion. We maybe start quoting a little bit of scripture. And, and then we're kind of set on it. We, we're not going to really rest until we get a scalp. We want someone to pay. Especially if we've been hurt ourselves. And so here's the hard part. Is the text. Because this is a text. It's an Advent text. It's a text about the coming of Jesus. Are you the one, Jesus, or should we wait for somebody else? Should we expect somebody else? And in Advent, we say, no, we expect Jesus. And the answer from Jesus is, yes, I am the one, but not exactly the one you were looking for. I am the one, but not exactly the one you were looking for. I did do all these things. Tell John, tell him. When you see him again, tell him. I raised the dead, I healed lepers, blind people see, lame people walk. And above it all, the gospel is preached to the poor. Did you hear that? The gospel is preached to the poor. Now that's, a, that's where the whole other sermon right there. We're not going to do that one today, but that's interesting that the gospel is preached to the poor. I am the one, but not exactly the one that you were looking for. Because you want a big brother to push back at the people who have been pushing you. You want a big brother to come and put them in their place. You want somebody to come and judge them and sentence them. You want somebody to come and vindicate you for what you've suffered. And I'm not actually going to do that. Not yet, at least. Not for a long, 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 long time. I am not going to punish the wicked. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to walk among them. I'm going to touch them, and I'm going to let them touch me. I'm going to eat at their table, and I'm going to sit with them in their grief. And I don't see them like you see them. You see enemies, but I see children of God who are lost like sheep that have gone astray. And I'm going to go over that hill and through that valley and brave dangerous beasts and defy death itself so that I can bring them back to the Father. That's the Messiah I am. I am the one. 
but not exactly the one that you were looking for. And then Jesus says something really, I think, thoughtful and compassionate to John. He says, I'm sorry if that offends you. He doesn't say it quite in those words, but take a look at verse 6. Take a look at verse 6 again. I'll read it again from the NIV, but it's translated in different ways in other passages. It says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And that phrase, fall away, it comes from the Greek word skandalon. And that actually has an ancient Sanskrit root, a little bit of etymology here, of the, the, the action of setting off a trap. That's the, that's the, maybe because of the noise it makes, I'm not exactly sure, but that's, that's sort of the background of that word. And that word can be translated as somebody who falls away on account of something, or somebody who is offended because of something that is said or done. Or somebody who loses their faith because of it. So Jesus is really concerned about John. He says, go ahead and tell him what it is I've done. I've done these amazing things. I am the one, just not exactly the one that you've been looking for. But I don't want you to lose faith over this. Because you're starting to lose faith, John. I don't want you to be offended by this. I don't want you to be offended that I'm merciful to people that you want to see judged. I don't want you to be that way. I want you to be happy. Happy is the person, or blessed. It's the same word there. Blessed or happy is the man who is not offended or does not fall away or lose faith on account of me. The Apostle Paul develops this idea of the scandal more fully in, in his epistles. He talks about the scandal or the offense of the cross, the offense of the gospel. And the offense is this, is that God saves people that we don't think should be saved. We don't like it. And that God saves those people and they don't work for it. And we don't like that because we think people should work for stuff because we worked for our stuff. And we like working for our stuff and getting our stuff. And when somebody gets something for free, that's offensive. And we might fall away or lose faith because of it because we don't like that. Of course, if you think about it a little bit, you realize where exactly you fall in that equation. A little bit of sober thought on this subject, and you realize, thank God for the offense of the cross. Thank God for the scandal of the gospel, because it saves me, who can't work for it, who could never earn it, who doesn't deserve it, but that God reaches out and sees me as the one whom John probably wants to have judged and sentenced. So Jesus is being compassionate to John. He says, you know what? There's a chance that people will be offended by my love for fallen people. But the happy person, the blessed person, is the one who is not scandalized or offended or faith, and whose faith does not falter because Jesus is merciful because he looks for the lost, because he counts them as worthy of shedding his own blood for. Now, we're in Advent, so we ask, how does Jesus come to us today? Jesus comes to us today as a difficult figure here. We're kind of like John. Honestly, we're kind of like John sometimes. I know I am. I, I really would like God to come and clean up this world. 
in, I, in very short order, I could think of five or more things in this world that are horribly wrong, that I wish were fixed instantly. And God in his wisdom, God in his love for us, doesn't intervene in our world in that way, at least not yet. And so we're left with this difficulty. And there's people in our lives that have hurt us. There's people in our lives who have done us wrong. John got thrown in prison. It could feel like that. You know, you could be in a relationship with somebody where there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hurt feelings. And there's this strong desire to say, well, they need to get what's coming to them. They need God's justice to reign on them. They need to be straightened out by my big brother. They just need to be pushed on a little bit, and then they're going to fold and fall away. I really wish that would happen. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to come like that into your life. I'm not going to come and settle the scores that you have. I'm not going to come and vindicate you with other people. He's not going to do that. In fact, I'm coming so that you could be happy. Happy is the one who takes no offense that God wants to be merciful even to your enemies, even to the people who have hurt you. And it's literally true. I mean, this is just literally true. It's almost like just normal sort of armchair psychology. Is If you're sitting and stewing over what somebody has done to you, which I, I can sometimes do, I, I can find myself in this situation. I have a friend, Eric Swanson, he calls it stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. It's where you're like, oh, you know, they really, mm, oh, that person really bothered me and... Um, this, this is all going to improve if I spend another hour thinking about it, you know. Does it improve? <laughs> oh, I'm going to lose five hours of sleep tonight over this. Well, then you're, just, then you're just tired and grumpy, and you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that you can magically turn this stuff off. If somebody has wounded you, there's, just, there's a lot of work ahead for everybody involved. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of mercy. There's a way to do it. The scripture talks about it. But the happy person is not offended that God is merciful to their enemies. The happy person is happy because God is merciful to their enemies. Because the happy person realizes that God has been merciful to me when I didn't deserve it or need it, or, or, or deserve it or earn it. I definitely needed it. So if you see people as God sees them, You'll be happy because you're delighted that God wants to redeem them. And, and as I said, you may have to have some honest conversations with some people. And there may be have a time when some healing has to take place. And all of that is hard work, but it's totally, totally worth it. And I'd rather be the happy one. I'd rather not be offended that Jesus is merciful. I don't have, I don't have time. You know, you get older and you realize you have less and less time for certain things in life. Because you're just running out of time. I'm 47. If that sounds young to some of you and old to some of you. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just don't have time. I have, I have three kids that need my attention. You know, they wake up at 6.20 in the morning and they say, Papa, come downstairs and let's read a book or let's, you know, let's eat breakfast. And I, I have to wake up and they grab my hand and I have to pick them up and I have to walk down the stairs with them. I just don't have time. 
I, I'd rather be the happy one. I'd rather not be offended that Jesus is merciful. I don't have time to live any other way. Jesus says, I am the one. Just not exactly the one you were looking for. I am the big brother who comes to save you, but not by pushing back on your enemies, but by opening my arms this wide to embrace them into the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus who is merciful. Help us to be the happy ones who are not offended at your mercy, but delight when sinners are redeemed. Amen.